Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Joe Tossi from TechTables.com, and you're listening to the Public Sector Show by TechTables. This podcast features human-centric stories from public sector CIOs, CISOs, and technology leaders across federal, state, city, county, and higher education. You'll gain valuable insights into current issues and challenges faced by top leaders through interviews, speaking engagements, live podcast tour events. We offer you a behind-the-mic look at the opportunities top leaders are seeing today. And to make sure you never miss an episode, head over to Spotify and Apple Podcasts and hit that follow button and leave a quick rating. Just tap the number of stars that you think this show deserves. Today we have Anushree Bog, CIO at the Indiana Department of Child Services and founder and chairperson at the Government Women in Technology in Indiana and American Heart Association Women of Impact nominee. Anushree, welcome to the Public Sector Show by Tech Tables. Thank you, Joe. It's a pleasure to be here. I am very excited that, that this, is, this podcast is finally happening. I think we've had everything thrown at us, including IT computer problems too, but we are here and we are making it happen. We'll jump right into this. For those, Anushri, for those in the audience who may not know you, and I know it's, it's a big country, I think you were able to maybe connect with Michelle out in California. So there's a lot of good stuff happening. Now, a quick word from one of our brand partners. Nagaro is a leading provider of digital government services, partnering with state, local, and federal clients on some of their most strategic technology projects. Nagaro offers expertise in digital services, legacy modernization, case management, data and AI, service desk, cybersecurity, and more. Check out Nagaro.com. That's N-A-G-A-R-R-O. But for those who don't know you yet, maybe just kick off with a little bit about your background with the Indiana Department of Child Services and the causes that you care so much about. Okay, very good. So as a CIO of the Indiana Department of Child Services, I'm responsible for a a range of responsibilities, right? I have the responsibility for overseeing and managing our agency's technology infrastructure and our operations. My responsibility includes developing and implementing the strategic plan for the agency's technology infrastructure, which has to align with our overall mission and the goals of our Department of Child Services. I also oversee the implementation, the development, implementation and maintenance of our agency's information systems and managing our data and information resources, our data governance, our data security, data analytics. And as you would expect, I'm responsible for ensuring compliance with relevant laws and regulations, federal and state, and the policies related to technology and data management. So we have to develop and implement policies and procedures to ensure that the, that the security and privacy of my agency's data and information is maintained, right? We also have to stay cognizant of the new and emerging technologies. We assess the potential of those technologies to improve our agency's operations and our services. And and of course, we also manage our agency's technology budget. So those are some of the system-oriented responsibilities, but over and above that, I'm responsible for the technical team and to make sure that the system responsibilities are fulfilled as required. I just want to always have highest on my list to make sure we have a high-performance team. And that is actually one of my topmost responsibilities to build and lead a diverse and high-performing technology team that is focused on delivering effective solutions that are also innovative and compliant. I feel like that is the mission. You come to public service with a specific mission um, of serving and being a servant leader and also doing your best when you're here and making sure that while you're in your job, you also 
make sure that your team members are growing and performing well and make sure that they also lead with passion and purpose and feel inspired and comfortable to lead outside. So sometimes think outside the box. And sometimes we need just day-to-day activities that we have to support. And sometimes we have to come up with innovative solutions because our problems that we solve are complex. And it is very, I would say, far-reaching because we serve all our constituents, right, in our state. And because the Department of Child Services, we have responsibilities for both child support and child welfare. And these are critical services to all citizens of Indiana. Did that answer your question? Yeah, no, that is fantastic on the Indiana kind of work side. And then we're going to address some of the other things that you care about. But first, I want to just unpack a little bit there. I was going to ask you what your favorite part of all of the duties that you listed. And then you came back and basically said building a high performance team, which is what I love because I coach high school basketball. So I'm trying to build a high performance, in my case, JV high school basketball team and get the 11 or 12 16, 17-year-old boys to come together and click and communicate on the court. And then I love what you talked about, effective and innovative solutions. For those who are maybe not aware, could you maybe just talk about the difference between child support and child welfare and kind of what that means to the state or to Indiana for you? Sure. So in child support, what we do is make sure that the custodial parents get the child support that is of court ordered often, right? By so the non-custodial parents pay the child support and the custodial parents receive them. But there are a host of other services. Indiana has 92 counties and each of the counties have, they're governed by some similar, the same laws, federal and state, but they also have county-specific ways in which they operationalize child support. So we have to be mindful about that. There is a mainframe-based legacy system for child support right now. And actually, at this point, we are working very hard to modernize that. And the projects in flights, I'm not able to talk about that too much, but we have a design, development, and implementation vendor who's helping us develop that new system. It's uh, So that is child support. The other is... Child welfare, so you may know that every state has this. It's child protective services. Some folks call them by that name. We have a 800 child abuse hotline, which gets calls when there's any suspicion of child abuse. And then we have a whole process of intake and assessment and investigation and opening the case. And we go all the way to placing the kids in, in different settings, in, in safe settings, in foster, with foster parents, ultimately permanency. So it's a very big, very big part of our mission and one that is one of the loftiest missions I would say in the entire state government to make sure that the most vulnerable population of our state is is serviced and kept safe. So that's why the mission of DCS is so critical. And those of who work at DCS, all of them, the mission is a no-brainer. Once you hear a mission like this, you're like, I'm so proud to work here and serve on this mission. Yeah, that is a that is a fantastic mission. And I was, I heard when I was in in Florida from Jamie Grant, who's the state CIO there, he was talking about how important it is to have the communication between the different agencies. And they had a scenario where there wasn't, they did not actually have these two agencies communicating. And there was a child welfare situation where, because the simple API call 
didn't happen to another organization over there. The wrong people were, were the kids were getting placed in the wrong houses and with not good people. And I like that example because there's the technology, but there's such a human side to why you do what you do. And whether that's protecting kids or, or any of the very critical, important work, whether it's on the child support side, it's just so important to understand that the technology isn't just an API call or it's not just, it's just not a row of kids in a SQL database or whatever it is, right? There is actual impact happening. And what you just said exactly nailed it with the mission. It's just so important. And when you get into that mission, you just totally buy into the work. That's absolutely fantastic. And it was one of the reasons why I actually wanted to have this podcast, just because I heard many great things from across folks across the U.S., and so love the work that you're doing and I love seeing you on LinkedIn and posting, posting those updates. That is the Indiana Department of Child Services, but there are a few other causes that you care. You're a busy woman. <laughs> there are a few other causes that you care about a lot. We mentioned that in the intro, but if you could maybe touch upon the government women in technology in Indiana and the American Heart Association also. Sure. I will say that right now my absolute priority and majority of my days are focused towards these two large technology transformation projects that we engaged in. It is, it's not every day that you are, you have the great opportunity of leading not one, but two large technology transformation projects like this, because when done right, these will definitely outlive my, me or any of us who are working on these projects. So we're giving everything we can to make sure they are successful. That is the highest priority without a question. Yes, I'm also very passionate about other causes because I work in technology and I don't see a lot of people who look like me or think like me exactly because women in technology are still not, especially in the leadership roles, we don't have that many women that, that we would like to see. If you just look at the state CIO profile, you talked about Florida, I'm familiar with the CIO there, I attend NACIO. It's, it's probably maybe a maximum of 10 women CIOs across the country. And sometimes people will tell you that, oh, that's more than I thought. So there are 50 states, the demographic is 50-50. Why would 10 women out of 50 seem like more than I thought, right? So that's the perception, but that's also the reality. So I wanted to find my own tribe because I have some absolutely fantastic male allies who are also my mentors, my sponsors. I absolutely love them, but women have some different ways of leadership. So not to be any, bring up any stereotypes, but if you don't see people who you identify with, then it's hard to speak up sometimes. So this idea you have, which you're not really sure, you can't be 100% sure of every idea before pitching it because then so many things would remain unsaid. But when you're in a comfortable setting, you're, you feel that safe space to speak up. But if you are one out of one woman out of 20 men, or maybe two, uh, two women out of 20 men, it's hard. Let me ask you, have you ever been in a situation in a workplace where there are 20 women and there's one man making technology decisions? In my case, no, but I have a very interesting background because I actually didn't grow up with the father. So I actually grew up with all women in my sister, my mom, and my two aunts. So I have the reverse flip of that. So that was my... 
Yeah. Yeah. I grew up with always. So my perspective is a little bit different just coming up with a single mom and my aunts and my sister and my other relatives who were all my cousins were all girls. So I think I was like the only male <laughs> down this line. But yeah, maybe in technology. That's what, maybe that's what made you such an ally. Just I see how you are and, and that's great, but that's really not the commonplace scenario, right? Most of the times it's more men, less women. And there are a variety of issues then about making your point, maybe taking that risk, seeing something that is perhaps you're not sure whether it's the best idea or not. But I thought that it would be a really good place for women to have that tribe, that safe space to talk about. But I did not want that to be a place where people would come and complain or all these things that have gone wrong in their life. It, we need to be cognizant of some of the issues because many times people will say, it's just the merit, it should be a meritorious situation, right? When you say, okay, there are few women in IT and then fewer and they're growing, going up the ladder. Why? It's, so one school of thought is, oh, it's based on merit, as it should be. Absolutely. No one would, I would not absolutely advocate for something saying just because you're a woman or a certain color or a certain demographic or what have you that you need to be promoted because you're going to check the box. That is absolutely a reverse of what I think. And But it should not be, just as it should not be an enabler, it should not be a disabler. Some people just make assumptions about women. I've definitely noticed that and heard about it in these settings. So that was the reason why Government Women in Technology was born. And we did it together as a group of several women who were there from the very beginning. We formed a board. We very soon had great adoption and participation from multiple Indiana state agencies and and it became of a movement. Every month we met and we created that safe space where everyone would speak up, offer their ideas, their thoughts, their experiences, and we'd have all those very wholesome discussions. That idea also spread in to NASIO, Meredith Ward at NASIO specifically caught on to that idea. So I went and presented to NASIO and she started a group at NASIO and uh, since gotten to know so many wonderful, strong leaders in IT across the nation because of Meredith's work there. One idea sparks another and it's like you say that one light starts one candle and then candle just lights another and it becomes a whole phenomenon. So I feel like definitely in our small way, the Indiana women in technology have sparked a phenomena and I would love to see more groups like this form across the nation. So that's definitely one of my passions without a question. I'd love to see more girls. I have a STEM background and I love to see girls and women in STEM. But I also, Joe, through my work in this GWIT, I would say, I may not have met some women, which I, if I wasn't part of GWIT, who I've seen had did not have a STEM background, did not have a privileged background. They started, they came from the hospitality industry. They were perhaps in the in a restaurant washing dishes, but they have transitioned to IT career and or they were incarcerated at one point and they took this as a second, a lot, lot like a second innings, which was not available to them, maybe minimal paying jobs. Now that they have, now that they're in IT, their whole horizon has expanded so much. And I absolutely love those stories so much because I grew up in, in an environment where education was almost mandatory. My, my father has a PhD in physics. Uh, my brother and I was just understood we would study in either engineering or medicine or some other professional field and college and master's degree and all of that is very common. Not everybody has that background. And I would give them far more credit that they are, have been able to successfully transition 
So anything I can do to help them or help them mentor, because when you're trying to, you're hearing all this buzz, we need more people in IT. We need so many IT jobs are unfulfilled. There's been a tech downturn, whatever jobs are available. Cybersecurity, we need more people, but you don't know what the next 10 steps are. I would love to. And what does a career in IT mean? So someone who's just starting out, they don't know, is it a project manager? Is it a business analyst role? Is it an agile coach? Is it a cloud security engineer? What is it that, and what would my path be? What strengths do I have that could make me a good candidate for that? So that is definitely a passion to talk to people and help in any way I can. You also talked about the American Heart Association. This is something I feel that that stemmed out of my own thoughts that how can I be of most help to people? And as I thought about it, I've been not prioritizing my health necessarily because it was there are only so many hours in the day and you have so many priorities. And of course, work is definitely you're there, you're, you've been in your position, you're there for a reason. Everyone, your whole team's looking at you and how you're driving the path forward. And then you're not eating on time. You're working extra hours, you're not sleeping well. And it's almost like we live in a culture now, sometimes that is almost celebrated. I didn't even get a chance to eat my lunch or I just had eight hours of meetings straight or I've been up since five o'clock or my last meeting was at 11 p.m. We've all heard that, we've all done that. But it gave me some pause thinking when the American Heart Association approached me, said, would you be willing to do this? And I thought, if I can't be doing this myself, how do I be an advocate for that? So since then, I I have learned to prioritize my own health because I that visual that sometimes we see in the airlines, how they say your instinct if your child is sitting next to you is when the mask drops, the oxygen mask, you put theirs on first, right? Don't do that. Take care of yourself first. Put your own mask on because if you are not well, how are you going to take care of your child? So I took that to heart and I felt that pun, in, no pun intended, but I took that to heart thinking, if I cannot take care of myself, then I cannot take care of my team. So it is a regular discussion in our teams now. Has everybody had a good restful weekend? Did you sleep well? Are you eating okay? Did you take a quick lap around the building at lunchtime? So those are some of the things. So I'd like to say that I wouldn't say necessarily wake up call because I didn't thankfully have a serious health issue like that, but I think I could step in before something bad happened. Because when you have these 12, 14 hour work days and you're not eating well or not sleeping well or just focused on work, it's not healthy. Yeah, that's 100% right. And there's a lot in there. I'm going I'm to backtrack and then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come back to this. The overall thesis that I love is just how you look to empower, like, there's not a victim mentality and oftentimes like life is hard, life is rough. It's very unfortunate. And, but what are you going to do about it? And and what you do about it is you, you, you give some time, right? You, you mentor other women, you lift them up. I love the, I love the, I love the empowerment piece of it. And that, that speaks to me, especially coaching high school basketball being on campus with these kids, I get to see, especially I laugh when vendors talk about digital transformation and handing kids iPads. And I'm like, but that's a hardware component of it. But there needs to be people on the ground who are actually investing in the kids to get the human transformation that then actually gets the kind of digital transformation piece. Holistic approach needed 
And, and so I like the empowerment piece that you were talking about. And then taking care of your health, this is super important and really underrated. I've seen a lot of people sacrifice their bodies and their health in the name of their job and or just one more email or and even my wife she had spine surgery a year ago and couldn't travel couldn't move and it was a that was a it was a pretty big wake-up call and so now we're actually going to the gym together which is a ton of fun if you uh, are afraid to go to the gym like I was or like Jamie was <laughs> Jamie Tosti was get a buddy <laughs> it works great it could even be your son, right? It's a, someone to drag you along. It's a great motivator. Anyways, I love the introduction. I know it's probably longer than the audience is normally used to, but there's a lot of really great work that we love to highlight. So since I run the show, I guess get to roll with it, right? So <laughs> Anushree, just from a 30,000 foot overview, you said we've got these two major transformations going on a podcast I'm pretty sure I listened to. It was you. You said that landing is mandatory, and I really like that phrase. Not any of the details, but could you just specifically talk to the landing is mandatory piece regarding these two large transformations? Absolutely. Like I said, this flight, the both projects are in flight, and this is a common term in our industry that oftentimes companies are, in our cases, agencies, are really good about taking off and having the plane in air but we're not necessarily that good at landing them so every takeoff is optional whether we start that project or not right every takeoff is optional but every landing is mandatory you cannot perpetually have the planes mid-air so to prepare for that we just have to make sure that the project is meeting the requirements of the stakeholders it is because any of these systems that we're developing any system, any application is going to outlive us. We have to have the mentality that these will far outlive us. And we have to have a solution that will work not just today, but tomorrow and for many years to come. And it, this is not a hypothetical scenario. Our current child support system has been there for 25 plus years. So when, you, when we implement the new system, it should serve the people of, of Indiana for 25 plus years. And so... How do we make sure that everything is about that system is optimal to make sure that is that holds true? So yeah, that's, that's the thought process. This is a, a quote that I've used in the past. I've always been in the private sector. And just my public sector journey started in November 2019 with the Indiana Office of Technology. And this is my second agency in Indiana, the Department of Child Services. But it holds true for any industry, public or private, that your takeoff is optional, but your landing is mandatory. Yeah, I love that. And the private sector background that you have, I can see it just exudes. And there's two folks. So when I was researching you for this podcast, there was two people that impacted your life. One was your dad, Baba, and the other is the former CEO of PepsiCo. And so let's first, let's start with your dad. He left an impression that education is super important. You mentioned he had a PhD and that there was, uh, I think you said that there was no substitute for hard work. You learned to be gritty. What's, so I was curious, what's one childhood story that you'd love to share about you and your dad that still sticks out today? Oh, I, if I start talking about my dad, it's going to be hard to stop. So about my childhood. So my father, like I mentioned, he has a PhD in physics and he was a university professor for 40 years. 
he grew up in abject poverty and without running water or electricity. And from there to go on to get a PhD was a huge feat. But the reason I tell that story is he, without a question, proves that sometimes your way out of poverty is education. And definitely that's how it worked in our family because my dad had done that leapfrog from a very different demographic and economic status with his education. My brother and I had a very comfortable life and it was comfortable, it wasn't luxurious, but it was comfortable education and everything was available to us, a lot of access to different things there. He also impressed upon me the importance of being gritty, right? And it, that successes are what you aim for, but you also need to take failure sometimes in your stride. Be focused on excellence, be focused on winning, but don't be so almost paralyzed by failure that you cannot get up because the mark of a professional or any human being is in your resilience. Sometimes failures happen, you cannot control it. Sometimes you're responsible for it, the failure, not someone else's fault, but your own. But sometimes it's not, it's just the circumstances. But no matter what it is, the ability to like falling down happens to people, but getting up is so important. So this one example, I remember I was just a very high performing student. That was just something I took pride in. My family did as well. And when I was in ninth grade, very unexpectedly, I had, we had these report cards where that is the situation. That's how it gets done in India. When I was growing up and you'd get your marks out of hundred, that's how it was. And you'd get a grade. For the first time in my life ever, thankfully, that was the only time in my entire life, I had a fail grade in chemistry. So I told you I was a student of science throughout my life and love math, love physics. I was never a fan of chemistry. So sorry to anyone, all the chemistry lovers, it's not my thing, still isn't. But to get a fail mark, so absolutely broke me. And I was so upset. The tears, the almost the hyperventilation and I I thought my dad would be very mad because he he was very involved in our education every single day he, he sat down with the homework and was very hands-on dad and I was very afraid my one of the main reasons why I was so miserable is disappointing my dad but he not only took it in stride he said let this be a lesson were you responsible for it could you have done anything better I said maybe but I just don't like chemistry, I don't get, so then he said, some things in life, you just have to move on. You have to train yourself to not get paralyzed. Right now, you're going to, everything else is going to suffer. You're so good in physics and math and everything else. You play table tennis, I used to play that. So all of this is suffering because you just can't get up. That's not how, I think that is definitely stuck with me, Joe, moving forward. I have not taken more chemistry courses, but I've never failed in anything. I've never got a red like that in my report card. But that is a very important story throughout my childhood and my adulthood that sometimes things happen because definitely I have been responsible for some of my failures. In other cases, something happened in the environment. No matter what, I re remember Baba saying, get up. Get up and stand up tall and try it again. Do it again. Give it your best shot. If you fall again, get up again. Try again. You will succeed. And that is just very close to my heart. I love that story. And for so much. And even the falling down example, you see a lot with kids because they fall down all the time. <laughs> like when they're younger, they're always falling down. And 
you just have to encourage them to stand back up. There's not a whole lot you can do or that you just end up laying on the ground. But yeah, the F in chemistry, I love your dad's response. I think it, it's sometime as a parent, it can be, you want to have that kind of coddling piece, but then the child doesn't actually learn how to f- operate or fish on their own. And so I love the, just the encouragement and the positive affirmation. You're good at physics. You're good at math. I was never really great in English. It just wasn't my thing. English and probably, I would agree with you, chemistry. It was terrible. But I used to tutor multivariable calculus. And so not everyone's there's very rare people who are like good at absolutely everything across the board. It just is what it is sometimes. And But I love the positive encouragement from your dad. And, and you probably use that with your team today, and which is really a great leadership quality. Another leader, the former CEO of PepsiCo, I was listening to this podcast she was on and she was recounting that she had the opportunity to meet Steve Jobs before he passed away. And I guess how the story goes and how she tells it is that Steve asked her a pretty fantastic question and I got it down in my notes. He said to the effect like, what mark are you interested in leaving in PepsiCo? And this was, I think, very early on in her tenure and... um, so that and she asked her response, which is great. But I was curious, Anushri, what mark are you interested in leaving at the Indiana Department of Child Services? Wow, <laughs> that is a great question. Indra Nui is for sure my one of my favorite leaders of all times. How do I start this? Indra Nui, as we all know, who have been following her career, she completely turned around PepsiCo. In, in how during her tenure, it was probably a 10 plus year tenure that she had there. But the impression, why I am such a fan of her, I can't speak for others. My, I'm a fan girl because I get the impression she cared so much for the people because under her, during her time, those acquisitions happened of Tropicana and Quaker Oats and PepsiCo went on to become a very different company, not just a fat, like a cola company like Coca-Cola or anyone else like PepsiCo was one of those soft drinks company, but she made it so much more. So two messages there. One, she showed us that you, how to be comfortable without, in, a, in venturing out into an uncomfortable zone. This is not something PepsiCo or Coca-Cola or those companies are traditionally known for. No one would have, I don't think our shareholders were expecting that she would take this turn and make, put this healthy spin on a company, whoever would have thought. so. Such an innovative mindset, such courage, such boldness, saying, I'm going to do this because I care. I don't want none of us bring a lot of cola and soft drinks into our house. Why would I give that to the general population? We know that in moderation, maybe, by the way, I don't drink any cola. So that's a big deal for me. But to see that leader stretching out so much and here she is a minority, like not a lot of women of color. In those Fortune 500, like absolutely top level role, she could have easily chosen the status quo and said, I don't want to take a left or a right turn. I'm just going to do this because all eyes on me. She didn't. She chose a radically different path, which was the right path. And if I saw, I feel like I definitely have that mindset. I'm going to do the right thing and make sure even if the idea is a little revolution, I I want to bring it forward. I want to do different things, if that makes sense. I wouldn't do something different just for the sake of doing it, but people like her, 
give us courage for people who are observing her, looking at her. There's always you look for people like who can who are your role models who blaze the trail, right? She's one who's shown us that just because you're trying a different idea or even taking a multi-billion dollar company in a different direction and changing almost the value proposition of that company, it's okay because it's for the right reason. It's a good health reason, right? I also feel that Indranu is very well known to take care of her for her employees, putting very strong and she, like any leader, I would think, paid attention to the KPIs, the key performance indicators, the KRIs, which are the key risk indicators, the data, the analytics, the metrics, all of that, right? But she focused on people and building a high performance team. Because once you take care of your people, you they take care of the business. So I have told you before, my focus is on building relationships first. My charter is to build systems and applications and lead the technology of DCS and to enable our mission because DCS's mission is what is the what is important here. Technology is an enabler, but it's a strong enabler. And in, in today's world, there's nothing called the technology industry or this or that. Every industry is enabled by technology, including our agency, Department of Child Services, right? So I would like to be known as someone, uh, when you said, what mark do you, do you want to leave here? I would like to be known as someone who took the time to listen for the goal of understanding and not just responding. So sometimes we just listen and we're not understanding. I would like to listen and understand the needs of our stakeholders because that's the way I know how to, to enable our mission of our agency because that's the big ask here. Someone who takes action to make impact, right? At any given point, action is more important than words, right? We can have all the strategy, all these discussions, but ultimately what are we doing? What action are we driving to make impact? I would like to be known as someone who collaborated with stakeholders instead of making unilateral decisions. Of course, at some point you have to take a decision, but people should be part, they should feel like they were heard, they were part of the decision because these are big decisions sometimes that we take. And I would definitely like to be known as someone who takes care of the team because it is my priority to recognize, to, to nurture, to grow my team members. Systems will outlive us, but if we don't have a good team members who are going to be part of this. And I feel that a lot of times we expect loyalty, but to get loyalty, you have to give loyalty first. I also feel, Joe, that we have some very ambitious goals here. They call the BHAGs, the Big Hairy Ambitious Goals, audacious goals, I think, in that, in that acronym. We cannot achieve this with mediocrity. We need rock stars. So I definitely want to, I have a practice of identifying our rock stars and I feel like we have absolutely have to do everything we can to take care of them because they'll take care of the other charter that we have. So that's the legacy I want to leave behind. Wow. Okay. That was absolutely fire and amazing. If you're listening to the podcast, you might want to just rewind that, put that back 60 seconds and listen to that again. That was incredible. A couple things I really loved listening to the needs of our stakeholders and taking action bringing people in to collaborate. But at the end of the day, at some point, someone on the team's got to make a call <laughs> and take some action to move as the sports, to move the ball forward. Love the BHAGs. Cannot achieve BHAGs with mediocrity. That was absolutely fantastic. And I'm really looking forward to just continuing to see the impact that you're making. Which brings us, I know I'm moving pretty fast only because we're short on time. If you're listening to this on the podcast, I would highly 
suggest there's a lot of really great stuff on the CEO of PepsiCo on, on Indria and my life in full. So she's got a book out and then she also has a masterclass too on, on teaching, yeah, leading yeah. with purpose. So she's got some fantastic stuff. So I would highly recommend great podcasts out there just on how she thinks. And some of the stories are definitely worth listening to the times where she was crying in the office and the board. And it just, it, you just get to he really see the human side of what it takes to lead an organization. And, and so there's some great stories there, but only because we have to move along pretty quickly. Someone else that I found that we like is Seth Godin. And he has a book, The Purple Cow. I love The Purple Cow. I feel like I am a purple cow on a daily basis because I am constantly not, not trying to be different, but I'm just like, it's just who I am. And, and so there's a book, Purple Cow, Transform Your Business by Being Remarkable. And so as an entrepreneur, I constantly have to think creatively and, and I always try and bring people together and have great experiences. And so that's my, my, my little purple cow being remarkable, being memorable. And, but in my case, Shri, I was curious, what's your purple cow? We do have a few things in common, Joe. This is one of my favorite books. Actually, I've talked about that in, in, in previous conversations. By the way, to be flippant about Indra Nui, if she hears this or somehow it reaches her and I get an opportunity to meet her ever, it's on my wish list. So this is a lot of people. <laughs> to the purple cow. I think that if I had to point to something, I feel like my purple cow is about being intentional every day to show up with a, without what I would say is a balancing act of being I pride myself on leading with empathy, but I like to also, I know that there in my position, I often have to take tough decisions or be very decisive in which way to go because you're at a fork and a lot of people are looking at me like, which way, what do you want? What, which way do you want to go? And sometimes I'm not sure exactly, right? But I have to be very decisive, very tough at that point. So the purple cow is about balancing to be both a kind person and a tough leader at the same time. Because I feel many leaders, when they re especially when they reach the upper echelons of any kind of corporate hierarchy, they feel that they need to project a very tough image, right? They're, and this is how our culture oftentimes is. The leaders are up on a pedestal. They feel The leaders feel like it's appropriate to maintain a certain distance from the employees. The employees feel it's a certain distance that they should maintain. Because maybe the leaders feel that it's if they get too close to the employees, their authority might get compromised or... Maybe they won't be able to make some tough decisions where there is a need. But you talked about a human touch. You talked about what Indra Nui had put in her book about being devastated or having those weak moments or just being vulnerable. So to me, my team members, they are human beings first. I really have an interest in them. I do. I like to know who they are, what motivates them, what their constraints are. It's well beyond, hey, did you have a good weekend? Happy Monday. Here's, let's go. I want to know who they are, right? Because I feel like if I know them, then I know how to support them. And it's a no-brainer, right? Any of any time we are we feel supported, we feel we feel valued, we feel included, we perform at our best. Work becomes enjoyable when we feel included and valued and we don't feel as burnt out because the work that we do, I'm just gonna say the work is intense without a question it is intense meeting after meeting deliverable after deliverable deadline after deadline and it is there is every recipe to get burnt out but if you have a leader who who cares i think leader sets the tone 
that culture propagates, right? Everyone then, because people who report to me would then extend the same to to this, become the same purple count for their teams and so on and so forth. So that's the goal here. Lighting, like lighting of one whole room through one candle that can start that first glow of light, right? Because as I said before, to expect loyalty, I need to extend loyalty, right? It's just not always easy to remember, especially when you're in a go-go mood and you're go mode and chasing so many the deliverables, deadlines, decision-making, which have real consequences. I work for the Indiana Department of Child Services. Decisions we take have real life consequences. So my work is intense, but I have to remind myself like tough leader, but kind person. The other thought here, Joe, is one of the first and foremost responsibilities for a leader is to be a coach and a mentor and a role model. It really means modeling the way every day because who we are anywhere is who we are often everywhere. If I have a difficult day, which I sometimes do, absolutely very crummy days, like really tough day. But I, while I'm okay to show that I'm also vulnerable, only human to some extent, I cannot be like a wet towel there because that emotion would propagate. So that is part of a leader to remember that I am modeling the way here and people are watching me and they are, while they appreciate the authenticity, I feel like we have to be cognizant about the emotions expressed in the workplace. And one emotion, in my opinion, is never okay, never, in my opinion, is anger. Showing anger in the workplace is not okay for anyone, especially for a leader. But that aside, to be to be authentic is important because a leader, I feel, who's, who appears too perfect or too distant can, can be seen as too unapproachable or even intimidating, right? So I think there's a term which says, like, lead with act, be authentic, make connections, and give others a taste for the leader that you are. So that's my philosophy. Yeah, that is a great philosophy. Yeah, I really like the tough leader, kind person. Yeah, the emotion, the emotion piece is really great. And I see this too with, especially on the high school floor, where I would say I'm passionate and, but there are some coaches who have the passion mixed with the anger and that can be a little bit dangerous. So I love bringing passion, optimism and, and the folks on the team will, it always starts at the top and, and that can be both kind of a blessing and a curse. If the leader is destructive, it just seeps down through. And then sometimes it's just understanding that yeah, I'm a Golden State Warriors basketball fan. And sometimes uh, you have players on your team. We have kids like this in high school where they are overly enthusiastic. In my case, this would be Draymond Green on the Golden State Warriors. And with Draymond, I like Draymond. He's the guy you always want on your team, but don't want on someone else's team <laughs> to play against. And, and Steph Curry, and he's masterful in trying to bring him back into the fold. And I understand. And, and so Draymond has the passion. Sometimes it dips into the overextension of anger, which then costs the team in technical fouls. But I think having a leader who's passionate and and has that loyalty that's reaching out is super important, And but then not taking it over. And that's how you can build that high-performance trust with your team. So I love everything you said that. It was fantastic. I know we are running out of time, but before we go, we got the mailbag time. Mike Petroika from Brooksource. I don't know if Mike, but I've got a little community called Tech Tables Plus, 
And um, this is for the live, all the live event content we put up there for early access before we put it out on the on the actual podcast feed. So Mike's a part of that. And I said, hey, folks, I'm I'm interviewing Anushri soon. Any questions? And they better be good questions because she's really smart. So Mike says he wanted to ask you, what advice would you offer to young women looking to become future IT leaders in government? Maybe just a short one or two sentence line, because I know we talked a lot about that earlier in the podcast. Yeah, a few different things. Obviously, with a short timeline, I can only talk about a few. But my first thing, my first advice would be to be competent, right? If you, whether in IT or any other field, but specifically in IT, just you need to know your stuff before you can be considered for any position or challenging projects or a promotion or what have you, which is exactly how I want to, right, to see young women get into those fields. Get a mentor, know what the field is, which is aligned with your natural strengths or anything that you want to do, right? So then whether you're a PM or a BA or an agile product owner or a DevOps engineer, whatever it is, right? Learn the material. Maybe shadow someone to get a better feel for the job. Do an internship, right? And in today's world in ITL, so get a certification. Don't be stymied by the fact that you may or may not have a degree, one or two. You could get a certification. And many of us are getting to skill-based hiring a lot to open up our pipeline and definitely get a mentor. Get two. <laughs> so those would be, that would be one, the confidence angle. I would also say the confidence. That is really necessary because it's not, People don't know how good you are until you're able to project that confidence. So try to be confident. And, and as I told you before, my, my goal is both empathy and strength together. Sometimes empathy can be seen as a feminine behavior, but don't be worried about that or feel like, oh, I'm way too soft and I really need to be much stronger and my male counterparts are able to make a point. I'm not. Don't be worried. Just push forward with your strengths. You can just be extremely powerful with those strengths. And as you have, I think, referred to it, Joe, just a second ago about building trust. Building trust is so big because IT systems are not standalone. You're building systems and applications for someone else. And in, in that is in it that you have to get the trust of your, your stakeholders. You typically work with so many different constituents, right? And all your behavior and your personality can be an asset there. So don't sell yourself short. The third I would say is have compassion. I just feel that they're some of the best leaders in the world because they show compassion. And I think, think about other people and what their strengths or weaknesses could be. Just don't take things at face value. Sometimes people have, one of my favorites, one of my favorite quotes is, you don't know, I don't know that this is verbatim, but anybody at any given point is fighting a battle that you have no idea about. So always be kind. Kindness and compassion um, gets us to a long distance, especially if you're looking to switch to a new field or whether it doesn't matter whether you're switching to a new field or you've been a veteran in this area. So my top three, Joe, once again, to summarize would be competence, confidence, and compassion. Love that is fantastic. And the piece of people are always fighting a battle you don't know. Part of that's just, hey, everyone's human and everyone has something they're going through or processing and part of that's just checking in on the team and that that was that's absolutely fantastic and as we wrap this up top two to three cios or tech leaders that you would love to hear next on the public sector show by tech tables and Ushri. oh okay one would be my i can name two directly from the state of indiana who are some of my favorites 
I think they're very strong leaders. So Rachel Clark, who's CIO at Bureau of Motor Vehicles, I would strongly recommend her. And I would also recommend Chris Henderson at the Department of Workforce Development. And Chris and I have been colleagues in the past at the IoT, but both are very strong leaders, wonderful human beings, more than even how technically strong they are. Would love to see them on your show. Love it. We'll definitely have to get them on. And, and as a related episode, we obviously have to give a shout out to John Rogers because we'll link to just the fantastic, very similar. I understand why the two of you would probably get along pretty well, just how you think about workforce development challenges and, and mentorship. Yeah. John is a tremendous ally and a friend and obviously an ex-colleague. I have the highest regard for him. So I've seen him. You have talked to him before. Yeah. Yeah, I love hearing all his the new stuff he's doing, some fun stuff he's doing too, which I love also. Yeah, yeah, he looked like he has a podcast going. I always see the he's interviewing everybody. Did yeah. you see the hot something they had yesterday? Hot ones yesterday. Just looking at it made me like, oh my gosh, this is yeah. With the seals program, he's had great success. It's actually a model nationally now. And it's a very good idea because we are losing a lot of people to, to retire. And also as private industries are able to do a lot in terms of financial compensation, they're able to do bonuses, variety of perks, the flexibility from work from home. And in government, we have, we're able to do a lot of it, but we have guardrails around that. Like they say, no one comes to government with the goal of making money. We just have this public servant mentality, but when we lose people, to retirement and other things, how do we quickly get them? John's program is amazing in preparing us for that. Yeah, that was actually a huge piece John and I talked about was the retirement crisis that's just going to happen in the public sector. And I think we even expanded upon how do you answer the question of how do folks manage applications that are so legacy, but those people are retired and they're gone. And then the younger generation not it's just a real question you got to answer and yeah i love what love what he's doing over there and and just it's just going to take investing in people to bring up the next generation and so uh, we could go all day i've got lots of thoughts but we'll wrap it up here anushri thank you for coming on the podcast always welcome back in the future and keep up the mentorship and caring thank you joe it was like i said a pleasure being here i'm sorry it's taken us so long but i really liked your facilitation and it'll be great to do this again have a great rest of the week thanks you too bye Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Joe Tossi from TechTables.com, and you're listening to the Public Sector Show by TechTables. This podcast features human-centric stories from public sector CIOs, CISOs, and technology leaders across federal, state, city, county, and higher education. You'll gain valuable insights into current issues and challenges faced by top leaders. Through interviews, speaking engagements, live podcast tour events, we offer you a behind-the-mic look at the opportunities top leaders are seeing today. And to make sure you never miss an episode, head over to Spotify and Apple Podcasts and hit that follow button and leave a quick rating. Just tap the number of stars that you think this show deserves. 